Thank you for joining us today on this pivotal Sunday, a day that the nation has already uh, ascribed to as Nelson Mandela Day, but a day that seems to have been gathered such more, much more significance in light of the events of this past week. It feels like there's a deep sense of exhaustion in our nation, uh, a deep sense of fear, anger, hearts being feeling broken, disappointment, despondency, depression, and maybe even a, there's some sort of a, a search for a, a, some kind of ripcord to eject out of it all. I just want out. And it's been quite a crazy week, a week that I really believe, if we're honest, is not just a week in isolation, but a week that has felt like a culmination of a year and a half of global pandemic, lockdown, conspiracy theory, financial pressure, and all of it in one week almost exploding out of control. The, like the valve was released. But it also, I feel, if I can be as bold to say, it feels like a week in which it's felt like 27 years of promise has reached its breaking point in South Africa. 27 years of rainbow nation and singing the songs and buoying each other up, but it almost feels like it's all fallen flat. It, for me and for many others around our nation, it feels like something has died this week. And I want to say in this moment, I really believe as we, as pulpits, as preachers gather behind pulpits across our nation today, there's so many temptations to preach different things and different buoyant messages of hope and prosperity and come on, let's do it, pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. But it does just feel at this moment in our lives, not just in South Africa, but in the world right now, it feels a place where cheap answers, cheap wisdom and cheap theology won't suffice. We've been preaching in the series, but these words of the wisdom of the world, you do you and follow your heart, live your truth, live your truth and YOLO, they've failed us. Those mantras have failed us and, they've, and I really believe they've actually led us here. They have led us to this place. They've led us to this depravity and this brokenness and this chaos. And I want to say maybe today, what do you see? What do you see at this moment, at this juncture of our nation, of our lives? Well, I know that we see that the wisdom of this world has failed us. We see that the human desire for a rainbow South African nation has failed us. We see that politics and government have failed us. And we see that there are very tough, potentially very dark days ahead. When uh, my family and I, we went to a game reserve recently, and uh, I'm no game reserve aficionado. I just get in the car and I drive where I'm told to, and uh, I pretend to see things that other people don't see as I, I can't see very well as it is. But in the, in the, in the, in the game reserve, it's, it's, I'm just there ooing and ahhing, not sure what I'm looking at. But there's this one moment where we came around a corner, and there was in the early hours of the day, there was mist everywhere, and there was a few cars. And we, one thing we know with a game reserve, when you see other cars stopping, you stop. Whether you see something or not, you stop. And, and they're looking out of this valley with a the mist there and everyone peering in with binoculars. And the question that kept going as we arrived in another car, another car, and it almost uh, dominoes affects the copper. The question will always be as the window wound down in hushed, whispered tones, what do you see? No one could really know. It wasn't obvious. And the, the broken telephone reality of it came down. That we, we, somebody thinks they, they saw a line in there. Someone saw a pride of line. There's been some rumors that they're in this area and we think we saw something. And they're looking, and they're looking, and, and very short, soon there was like 40, 50 cars there, and people were piling up and try, trying to wedge their way in to see what other people are trying to see. My patience was wearing thin, and maybe it wasn't just because of uh, the, the, the extreme length of time that had passed with nothing happening. Also, it was probably because I had two toddlers screaming for more baby shark in the back seat. I said, I'm done with this. 
And we reversed. We went in the opposite direction, the other way around. And as we were coming around that side, out of the mist came two male lions across the road. And I looked up and I looked across the other side where everyone was sitting, peering into the mist. And there we are, and lions, majestic lions walking right across our path. Our vantage point was so, so different to the majority of those around those peering into the mist. At this moment, our nation is peering into the mist, and everyone's saying, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And, and there's hope in some people. There's fear in others. There's chaos in others. But I want to position us, church, today that we have a different vantage point. We have a different perspective. We do not look through the lenses of 27 years. We do not look through the lenses of years gone before that. We do not look through the lenses of poverty, of race, of Nelson Mandela, of nothing. We look through a different lens, and I want to call us to see differently today. Because these have been tough days, and I want to be honest to you as a pastor, these will not be the toughest days we see. But we are a people who will see differently. So I want to say, what do we see? Let's read text today. Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 10 says it this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly to your word today. Humbly, and we look into the, the eternal nature of your word that is never shaken, never, never stirred, never, never broken down, never destroyed, but has always stood true. It has always stood the test of time by your word with the, the foundations of the earth laid. And I thank you that your word would come upon us now, come upon our church, come upon this nation, come upon individual lives at this time, God. We humbly submit ourselves to your words, and would you adjust our sight? I pray, Father God, would we be able to see through the mists of the pain, the brokenness, the questions, the anxiety, the fear today, and would we be able to see the lion of the tribe of Judah? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And I pray we see you rightly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to give you eight points today. Normally I do three, but it's, a, it's a, such a significant day that we need to work our way through this text. Nothing fancy, but it's the Word of God that needs to hold us and secure us. We say it again and again. If the Word is not shaping us, the world will be shaking us. So we want to go to it today. Firstly today, from this text, is the prophet Isaiah uh, encounters the Lord in this dramatic way. The first point I want to tell you and, and declare strongly is that God is alive. God is alive. I love how it starts. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
in the year of death, in the year of destruction, when, when a king would die in, the, in those days, the nation would go into mourning, but there would also be in, such terror would grip the nation because they'll be at their most vulnerable. When Uzziah died, the nation of Israel was just, a, it was, that was a catalyst for civil war that would be unleashed a couple years later. It was a catalyst for the Syrians to come in and, and plunder and lay waste to the nation of Israel. This nation was vulnerable at its very, at its very core. And the moment when Uzziah died, everyone started to look to the north. Will the Assyrians be coming? They were looking to the south. Will the other nation of Judah come rise up against us? And they were so terrified. What were they seeing? But there was this one man, Isaiah, who turned his eyes from the death of that thing and looked to a God who was alive. I want to tell you right now, the death of Isaiah for, for Isaiah was not the most important thing in that moment. For a nation it was, but for Isaiah, the man of God at that time, it was not the most important thing. And I say this soberly, but the devastating destruction, loss, pain, and rampant fear in our country right now are not the most important things right now. There's something more important to see. Vladimir Putin will die. Boris Johnson will die. Donald Trump will die. Joe Biden will die. Jacob Zuma will die. Cyril Ramaphosa will die. Julius Malema will die. Helen Zilla will die. John Steenhazen will die. In just over 100 years from now, not one of the 8 billion people on earth drawing breath right now will be drawing breath then. All of us will die. Kings and kingdoms will rise and they will fall. And Time magazine in April 196 declared boldly, God is dead, but they have been proven wrong. Because God, we know, had never had a beginning. And therefore, nothing depends on, he depends on nothing for his existence. He always has been and always will be alive. This is so exciting for us because I want to help give us context. The biblical authors wrote from this vantage point of pain, devastation, and loss again and again and again. This is not an extraordinary situation for the biblical authors. We find in AD 62, in, in the, the believers who've been scattered abroad and they're moving into Rome and they're moving out and, and, and they, they're flooding into Europe, they're a year out from a wave of persecution they would, or would almost seemingly take the church to the brink, the, the brink of destruction, extinction. You see, there were, what happened was under Nero in the seasons of the day, the church, the people of God were almost crushed, were almost crushed under the oppressive thumb of Rome. You see, Christians were used as entertainment. They were arrested they had, their, they had their possessions stripped away from them. They were lighted, they were set alight in flames, lighting up dinner parties. Christians became punchlines to jokes. They were stripped of possessions and away from families. And ultimately, they filled arenas and coliseums with their debts, providing entertainment for the masses. And for this wasn't just a one-year thing. This was year after year after year after year after year after a message coming home of another brother dying, of another family losing their life, losing their dignity, losing their income, losing their property for the name or sake of Jesus. And I can imagine they must have thought, Christian of the day, in those days, when will this suffering end? When will Rome's oppression end? It must have been like what people in Zimbabwe for the last 40 years have been crying out, when will it end? Seems another wave of injustice, a wave of persecution, a wave of oppression and brokenness. Maybe you felt like that this week. Another wave has come. When will it end? How long, O oh Lord? But let me just tell you, when we look at the might of the Roman Empire now from this vantage point, 
Rome is just a mere footnote in history. You know, actually right now, if we were able to travel, COVID regulations permitting, we would arrive and would be allowed to have a tour of the Colosseum in Rome, the high, the high point of Rome's oppression. We'll be able to have a tour of it, and they'll, tar- they'll charge us the measly sum of 20 euros with a pimply teenager giving us a tour of the ins and outs of the Roman nation, but we'll be able to walk through the Roman Empire's ruins. Let me tell you, the might of Rome has been lessened to rubble and a history tour. But leaders have come and gone, but Jesus stands unchallenged. God is alive. So I say to you, don't have anxiety about government. Don't have anxiety about political power or rioters. The psalmist said this way, why do the nations rage in vain? The one who sits enthroned laughs. And I want to tell you today, Jesus Posh is laughing not because he is uncaring. He is laughing because he is alive. And none, none have unseated him yet. God is alive. Secondly, I want to tell you, God is authoritative. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. John Piper said it this way, No vision of heaven has ever caught a glimpse of God plowing a field or cutting his grass or shining his shoes or filling out reports or loading a truck. No, heaven is not coming apart at the seams. God is never at wit's end with his heavenly realm. He sits, and he sits on a throne. All is at peace, and he has control. You see, the shortest and most powerful piece of theology in the Bible that I can deposit into our souls today is this. Jesus is Lord. If you want good theology, that's it. Why don't you type that in the chat right now? Write that out as a declaration of your life over this nation right now. Jesus is Lord. And you see, when that phrase came about in the early church, it wasn't sung to, it wasn't said to a a catchy tune. It wasn't emblazoned on church banners. Uh, No, 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 no. It was a subversive political statement whispered in the corridors of of society in those days. Why? Because in those, those days, that statement was hijacked from the political powers of the day. There was a phrase that people would say to pledge their allegiance to the state, to the might of Rome. They would say, Caesar is Lord. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, and he ascends his throne through his death and resurrection. The disciples have a new worldview. They start to see things a little differently. When everyone else is seeing the devastation, destructions, they saw the Lord. And they say, no, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that, that phrase could get you beaten, imprisoned, and even killed for saying it. And it's so huge that actually the apostle Peter was ramming this home and saying that this Jesus has been made both Savior and Lord. But I want to challenge you that I think the church have been sold a diet of understanding he will save you and rescue you, but you don't have to bow to him. But he is both. He is your Savior and he is your Lord. And I believe that the church of South Africa have watered down the gospel so, to such an extent that actually we're happy for Jesus to ride in on some sky ferry rescue mission, but we don't want to bow to him. The One writer said that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I want to tell you today that we as a church are people who declare to our emotions, we declare to our fears, we declare to our insecurities, Jesus is Lord. I'm not ruled by what I see in the natural, I'm ruled by what I see in the heavenlies. He is Lord. It's the time for the church to truly bow a knee. Thirdly today, he's alive, he's authoritative, he's also all-powerful, he's omnipotent. 
I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. You see, there's a dearth of leadership in the world. There's a dearth of leadership in South Africa. It feels like an episode of Game of Thrones where everyone wants to, I've never watched it myself, just a, a, a disclaimer there. But it just seems like that could be a, the title of, of our world, the Game of Thrones. 6th of January, let's take over the 6th of January in America, let's, let's go and ride and take over the capital. It seemed like a scene from a movie. What we've seen this week is politicians raging and trying to one-up each other and trying to, who's going to be in charge here? But I want to tell you, when we look around, it actually looks like there's a dearth of leadership. It's an empty throne. But here's the good news. What Isaiah saw, what you and I need to see is that there's a throne in heaven and it is occupied. It is occupied. His throne is not one amongst many thrones. It is high and exalted and lifted up. And there's not a cosmic battle between God and Satan. Let me tell you today, no, God is God. And the enemy is living on borrowed time. It's not he had a blow and I had a blow and who's going to win it out in the end. Please, Lord, hope you defeat the enemy. He has laid waste to the plans of the enemy and he sits enthroned, unshaken. We have to have this perspective. In the midst, we have to see the Lord. The book of Colossians tells us this. He says, Jesus is supreme over all creation. He's supreme over all earthly and spiritual authorities and powers. And in verse 17 of chapter 1 in Colossians, it says, He existed before anything else, and He holds it all together. Amen. You see, if Jesus right now, he, is sustained, the Bible tells, he sustains it all by the power of His Word. Right now, you might think things are out of control, but let me tell you that if Jesus truly removed His breath, we would all drop down dead like that. It would be as if Thanos was clicking his finger. That is what would happen, that actually the, the mere fact that we can still draw breath in this moment, the mere fact that we can still see even a, a glimpse is the fact that He is still all-powerful. He didn't just back away from creation. He didn't just say, you're on your own. He sustains us all by the word of his mouth. So right now, I tell you, maybe the world, your world, is feeling random, out of control, falling apart. The old hymn still stands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, and he has not dropped her yet. Fourthly, we see that God is holy. Isaiah saw the Lord, and he says he saw the seraphim, which literally means the burning ones. And they, what, what was the anthem of the angelic beings in this vision was they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This week, I really believe my emotions, if I'm honest, are, uh, family members in Durban, friends in Durban, there's deep concern and turmoil in my heart. I'd say my, my emotions and many of your emotions might be fearful, fearful, fearful. Maybe it is anxious, anxious, anxious. Angry, angry, angry. Or maybe you've got to a point today, like hopeful, 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 because someone sent me a very encouraging link with you raise me up in the background. I don't know. I'm not messing around with our emotions. I'm not trivializing our emotions. Those are very real, but we have to see past them as the people of God. And I want to say, why do the angels say holy three times? You see, Similar to our bold, italic, and underlined function on our computers, the Hebrew emphasis was to repeat stuff. If they wanted to put strength on something and show you how important it was, they would repeat stuff. So Paul, in Galatians 1, verse 8 to 9, he, would, um, he, would, he preached twice. He said that may people be accursed if they preach a different gospel. And he said it twice to emphasize it. 
When Jesus is preaching, he prefaces his words with the words, amen, amen, or truly, truly, I say to you. Basically, in effect, he's repeating it to say, this is very important, listen up. So here the angels, when they see the Lord and they're exalting the Lord, they're not content with just, holy is the Lord. Neither are they just content with the emphasis of importance, holy, holy is the Lord. No, for effect, they say it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They take it to the third degree, the superlative degree. No other attribute of God is praised like this. No other attribute in the Bible. Not His love, not His mercy, not His justice, not His sovereignty, just holy. Holy, holy, holy. And I wanted to say to you today, have you seen the holiness of God? Have you seen the holiness of God? And I want to pray to us today, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There's an opportunity for the church to see rightly today. Fifthly, God is glorious. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is filled with His glory. I love this. So we've been saying this all week. We'll say it again, that God is transcendent which means he is far above. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He knows the beginning from the end. He dwells in unapproachable light, but he's not just transcendent, he's imminent, which means that he is closer than our hands and our feet. He knows our deepest thoughts. He knows the amounts of hairs on our head, and he calls himself the God of all comfort. He's transcendent, and he's imminent. There is no God like our God. No other God would be able to marry these two elements together. There is no God, no option, no rhetoric of man that's able to, to put in your heart the confidence of a God who's above and a God who's in. Yeah. I want to tell you, he's the creator and eternal judge of your soul, but in the midst of your darkest day, he's the comforter of your soul. What a mystery. And it's to that God we come, that glorious God who calls himself Yahweh. I am who I am. The God in this moment who says to you, South Africa, I am Jehovah in Kadesh, the God who sanctifies. I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I am your source of provision, South Africa. I am Jehovah Shalom. I am God, your peace. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. I am Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, your banner. I am El Shomri, God, your protector. I am El Eloah, God, strong, mighty, and prominent. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am Elohim, the God of absolute strength and power. I am immutable. I do not change. I am immortal. I do not die. I am omniscient. I am all-knowing. I am omnipotent. I am all-powerful. I am omnipresent. I am everywhere. God is glorious. And we have to see this God. And I want to tell you today, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Sixthly, man is sinful. In response to this, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Can I be controversial? It's so wonderful to not have people in the audience so I can just go with whatever I think. <laughs> I want to tell you today that the problem in South Africa isn't race. It isn't poverty. It isn't the ANC, EFF, DA. It isn't the long-lasting effects of apartheid. All those 
must have taken some, some semblance of responsibility, but I want to tell you that the problem of South Africa is sin. This isn't a skin issue. This is a sin issue. And our culture will keep turning our eyes to sins and make reparations for this, for being black, for being white, for apologize, for being Indian, apologize for this. But I want to tell you, no, the Bible calls us to repent of our sin, not of our skin. And unity will only come in this nation, not when we, when we bow our knees to each other's skins, but when we bow our knees to Him. Let me tell you, this is just not our day and age. It's the problem that's always been. When Jesus arrived on the scene, the Israelites said to him, have you finally come, the Messiah, to come and lay waste, waste and wage war against the Roman government? Our oppressors set us free from the Romans. Maybe set us free from the Pharisees and, and the press of rules and regulations and the burdens they've placed on us. Have you come to set us free from them? The Sadducees, the liberals of the day, if you come to rightly correct the ship, God, please, left or right, what are you going to help us with? And Jesus said, no, 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 I did not come to save you from the Romans. I did not come to save you from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, from the traditions of man. I came to save you from your sin. And that's still his mission because man is still sinful. Let me tell you, COVID riots, looting, economy collapse, even lack of safety is not our biggest concern. Sin is. And my biggest concern today, and I woke up with this burden, burden inside of me, that too many of the church today will be singing out, Kumbaya, come on South Africa, when actually today the biggest problem is not that let's pull ourselves up, we can do it. I want to tell you, we can't do it. Because man is sinful to the core. We need to see the Lord. Because I want to say this, that before we can stand against the sin that is out there, we have to fight the sin that is in here. And we're not good at doing that. Let me say this, black people, white people, Indian people, colored people, Asian people, none of us are enlightened and none of us get a free pass. You see, culture has us believing that the answer is within us. If we just dig deep enough, if we just come together enough, can I tell you the euphoria, and I love it, I love communities come together, and we're going to call ourselves, we want to give ourselves this nation, but the euphoria of the moment go, will go away quickly if we do not see the Lord. If we just see the rebuilding attempts, if we just see the songs, and come on people, it will go away quickly, and we'll find ourselves in the same position with a, just a different effect. We'll keep comparing ourselves to them and what they did. And never take responsibility for our own sin. I say it as well, though, that racism is a vile stench in the nostrils of God. Yeah. A vile stench. It's not tolerable. It's not just, uh, it's not allowed in this, it's not, don't put a veneer over it. Whatever race you find yourself on, we are not preaching our skin color. We're not preaching a, a culture. We're preaching the kingdom of God. But too many of people are preaching the kingdom of South Africa or the kingdom of this dream or the kingdom of this people, this agenda. No, we are a different people who have seen the Lord. Let me say it this way. The cure for South Africa isn't politics. It isn't education. It isn't food aid or even unity. The cure for South Africa is Jesus. And I will bang this drum that I do not believe in South Africa. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Because of that, I will fight for South Africa. 
but my hope is not in the economy of this world. My hope is not in the politics of this world. I have a different source because I do know that man is sinful. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Seventhly, I want to tell you that man is sinful, but God is forgiving. Isaiah said this in response, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I could go on and on, but I want to just echo this, that the blood of Jesus is our only hope. On a macro level for the nation, on the micro level for your home, your family, your future, your eternity, your marriage, your kids, your emotions. The blood of Jesus is our only hope. It's our promise. It's our protection. It's our peace. It's our provision. It is everything. I have this narrative in our heads. It feels like this. South Africa has been in a boxing match, boxing match with the enemy, and the enemy has laid one blow too many, and it feels like we, for years and years, we've just taken the last couple of years, COVID hits, we've taken uh, retrenchment, we've taken the economy collapse, we've taken the infighting, we've taken all the, the corruption, we just, we just feel like we punched drunk against the ropes, and it feels like this week that the last blow was hit, and South Africa fell to its knees on the mat, down and out, out for the count, and maybe it feels like that for you in your own home in a personal capacity, because of your sin, because of your brokenness, or maybe as a whole nation, we look at them and says, nation, the nation is down. And the, the referee comes in and counts, starts to count us out. One! And the enemy is roaring louder and louder. And the crowd see the victory is coming for the enemy. Two, three, four, five. And the pain of the people is echoing. It's deep level and they're trying to get up, but there's no more strength left. And as I don't get out of this ring, I just want out. I want to throw in the towel. I'm done. Six, seven, eight, nine. And a brief pause. <gasps> Ten. And he thinks the bell's about to ring and the enemy is like, yes, we've defeated him. And just before the crowd in silence and to think this all but over, the referee takes another breath and goes, 11, 12, 13, and the enemy is confused. What is going on? Why are you still counting? And at that moment, the referee removes his top and shows that the referee's name is Grace. And Grace is still counting. When Grace is the referee in your story, you're never counted out. I want to tell you, South Africa, you're not counted out because Grace is still counting. It's still calling you. Maybe you've fallen a hundred times. Maybe you've fallen again. South Africa, get up off your feet because Grace is still counting. It has not disqualified you yet. He is supreme in our salvation. He is supreme over this nation and he will have the final say. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Finally, eighthly and finally, God is calling. In response to all this, then I heard the voice of heaven saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Governments around the world have decried churches as unessential. Celebrities and influencers have belittled and marginalized the church. Christians themselves have trivialized her and her influence to an hour on a Sunday. But I want to tell you today, God, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this destruction, death, and depravity, God is still calling His church. And He says this, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and I will rise upon you. This is the call of the gospel. Arise and shine, for your light has come. 
Church, people of God, this is the call of God that comes in the midst of depravity, in the midst of brokenness. He is still calling us. And he says that when, he says when all anyone else can see is darkness, Jesus declares, here comes the city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. Faith, hope, and love still remain. This is a dangerous calling. It's dangerous to be a Christian at this time because we have no other option. We cannot go with the masses. We cannot go down to our own devices. We have to see the Lord and respond accordingly. We have to see the Lord and respond accordingly. Let me tell you this. You were born for such a time as this. You could have been born in any other century. You could have been born in any other nation. But God, who's seated on His throne, unshaken, unmoved sword in His wisdom, to place you, to place me in this nation at this time. And He says, arise and shine. This is our moment. Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, let them have to leap into the flames over our outstretched arms. It's not time for the church to be pointing fingers. It's time for the church to be calling people back to Jesus, calling people back to repentance, calling people back to it. And it starts with us. So life changes, I say to you, stand up, speak up, and lay your lives down. You see this Isaiah call, this whole passage finishes with God reminding Isaiah that this call that he's picking up is an impossible call. (laughs) It's an impossible call because Isaiah responds saying, they won't listen. And God responds, will you go anyway? They won't respond. Will you go anyway? They've done this before. Will you go anyway? They won't change. Will you go anyway? It'll be another Zimbabwe. Will you go anyway? No matter what the future holds, I want to tell you the call of God remains. Church of God, will you respond? You see, here's my kicker as we land this moment. Our power as the church, our power as the people of God has never been, that power that we've got has never been from a full gathering. Our power has never been from a full gathering. It has always been from an empty grave. We are not waiting to be declared essential. We are essential. You are an essential service for such a time as this. Church in Durban, arise and shine. Church in Joburg, arise and shine. Church in Cape Town, arise and shine. This is why we are here for this moment, to see the Lord and respond. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. We want to have communion now and pray for our nation because I believe today is a pivotal day. A pivotal Sunday, not just for a people called life change, but for this nation. But we are laying hold of this in this moment. So if you're at home, why don't you gather around, get a piece of bread at home, get some juice, take a moment with your family, gather him close, because this is the moment we are asking God to open the eyes of our heart that we may see him. And I want to declare today that South Africa's future is in the broken body and the poured out blood of our Savior Jesus. So, ma'am, your future as individuals is in the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you right now as we come to the communion table. Our unity is not found in politics. Our unity is not found in race. Our unity is not found in shared history. Our unity is not found in the same vantage point. Our unity is not even found in the same anthem sung. Our unity is found in Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of our faith. And I thank you, Father God, you've called us to charge into the darkness because you did that on our behalf. I thank you, Father God, that when, when on the cross, when all the eyes were looking and seeing you, your eyes could not see the Father, your ears could not hear the Father. You felt you were separated and you were separated so that we could be united with our Father. I thank you, Father, on the cross. When you died, your body was broken. Your body was broken. It was a devastating death. It was a traumatic death. It was a death that of all deaths because in that moment you were waging war, not on nations, you were waging war, not on politics, but waging war on eternal matters, on sin and death forever. And I thank you, Father God, today we say your body is broken so that we can be made whole individually and as a nation. So we, Father, we hold up the broken body of Jesus and say, this is our healing. This is our healing and this is our message. This is what we'll preach at this moment. We eat of that right now, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, as we hold up the blood of Jesus, our only hope. It might feel like about midnight, maybe for people watching in your personal capacity. The nation is burning and raging, but inside your soul, your soul is burning and raging. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your addiction is spiraled out of control. Your finances are in the bush. You don't have strength for tomorrow, even these contemplating thoughts of escape, pulling the ripcord and saying, I want out of it all. I want out of my marriage. I want out of my relationships. I want out of this life. And right now I speak to the spirit of death that has come upon you and I declare the blood of Jesus is enough. I declare the blood of Jesus is enough. Today is a day to put down the pen, to put down the keyboard, to put down the opinions, to put down the lenses of our past and to see the Lord through the blood of Jesus. Because what does He see? He sees us, His people. Not as broken, flawed and forgotten but is ransomed, healed, and forgiven. So Father, I thank you for your blood. As we take your blood, I pray right now into every home that's watching and across our nation, I thank you, Father God, today we declare your blood is enough. Father, as a people, we pray for this nation right now. As your chosen people, we would arise and we would shine. I pray right now, Father God, for a spirit of generosity to be unleashed. Not based on emotion or sentiment, but based on seeing the Lord. I pray, Father God, that revival fires would start to burn, that what was deemed as death and destruction, I thank you, Father God, would be the beginning of a nation turning their face to you, Father. I thank you, Father God, that the death of our Savior Jesus Christ was not the end, but it was the beginning of the church. And what seems like a death in our nation will be the beginning of our church, the beginning of our greatest days, the beginning of our greatest moments, that we'll not look back to some heyday in 1994, not lessening that moment, but God, this is our moment. This is our time to stand for eternal things. Would you come and bridge the divide that no man can bridge? Would you bridge the divide between races and groups and classes and politics that no man can bridge? I thank you, Father God, that our hope in this nation is not a nation that will rise and stand on its feet again, but a nation that will stay on its knees. We declare we have no other hope, and we declare we have no other allegiance but your name, your kingdom. And we declare it together over our nation. Can we pray this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. 
not mine, not my desires, not ANCs, not the DAs, not the EFFs, not any other human agenda. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we see? Our eyes see the Lord. And in that response, we act. We love you, Jesus. We love you. And we keep our knees bowed as we say, God, you are glorious. You are holy. You're merciful. You're forgiving. And you're calling. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you today are at home and you're watching the stream, and in a personal capacity, you're saying, I've never said Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've said it with your lips, but you've never bowed your knee. And today is the day for you to bow your knee. There's no greater day to bow than in the days of brokenness. Don't wait for another day. Don't say when I've got my life together. Don't wait to say everything else is better. Bow your knee today, sir, ma'am. And if you're doing that, I want you to type in the comments, I'm bowing my knee. And we've got a team who'll get hold of you and pray for you. We want to trust that God is good all the time. All the time God is good and He is working. We love you, Life Changers. We love you, City of Cape Town. We love you, South Africa. And because of Jesus, our greatest days are ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.